Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24, 14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Hey listeners, Silas West here. I just wanted to make a note about the quality of this recording. It was recorded on site in Southeast Asia with Mike and Stephanie. And because of the lack of a studio, we had a lot of background noise. There's some ambulances, there's even a lawnmower at some point, kids playing, lots of stuff that's going on in the background. And the quality of the content far outweighs the lack of quality of the recording. So sit back and enjoy, and thanks for listening to Resiliency. Welcome listeners, and thank you for tuning in to Resiliency. This is Silas West, and I'm here on location in South Asia with Mike and Stephanie, our guests for today. Uh, Steve can't be with us because he's doing what Steve does, which is pastoral care. So, Mike and Stephanie, welcome to Resiliency. We're really glad to have you here. Thanks. It's exciting for us to be here. And those of you who listened to our first podcast know that we're going to be talking to them about cultural adjustment and how that pertains to resiliency. So uh, I don't really want to say a whole lot here at the beginning because I want to really let this be about you guys. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and about adjustment to living and raising a family in a different culture? So uh, we moved to the field in 1999 and lived in one country for about 14 years plus one more bonus year. And I'll let Stephanie talk a little bit about those those first days of getting adjusted culturally. Yeah, I think for me the biggest stress living overseas, especially in our context, is being stared at, being looked at all the time. <laughs> I think especially as an introvert or maybe it bothers everyone. The picture but... lasts longer. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think that was, and I think like figuring out how to help children, how to help our kids adjust mm. to that, being noticed all the time. So, you know, with the long-term goal being that they would be resilient, that they would love their home country, but also how do you do that in a place where they're, they're getting so much attention? Give, you respect their boundaries, but also help them develop a heart of love for the people in the country and help them to understand this is where we live, these are the people we want you to love. It's always a struggle, adjustment for me. Now, for me, as as an optimist, moving in for the first time was like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to love this country. And I didn't have the the wisdom to just take the country for what it was. And I kept wanting it to be more like America or or feeling frustrated that it wasn't. And then I came to a point of saying, you know what? I need to just accept this culture for what it is. Like, I remember it really bothered me that there was no parks in our city and just love going outside and feeling grass under my feet. And and instead of saying, oh, you know, just kicking, oh, why why is there no parks here? I just want to take my kids to park. It dawned on me, it's like, hey, there's stuff here that we don't have in the U.S. Mm. There's waterfalls. There's volcanoes. You know, there's really beaches. There's really cool places to visit. So instead of trying to make the, the country feel like America and frustrated that it is, just receive it for what it is and 
I think it's contagious. The more that you have that attitude, the more your family or your children, the more they'll pick that up and that they begin to have that attitude like, oh, yeah, this is a fun place to live. Yeah, there's some frustrating things, but the more they hear the you trying to find things that we, we find things that we enjoy, they, I think they pick, that, pick up yeah. on that. So I've noticed families with kids that love the country they're in, a lot of times their parents do, and I think they've, they've mm-hmm. um, absorbed that. And yeah, I remember someone telling us that, like, you're driving down the road and you're going, oh, these people drive like idiots. The kids are in the back seat. They're hearing this, and they're going, "These people are idiots." And if you're like, "Man, look how look how gracious these people are. They're just always like smiling and you know nodding and interested in you." And your kids are going to think, "Ah, these people are really gracious." And so you're discipling your kids, whether you realize it or not, and how they interact with the culture. That's good. Yeah. How long do you think it took for you to feel like you were adjusted? I don't know if I realized it. I don't know if you realized it until we go on our first home assignment. So for us, that was about uh, yeah. two years. And then when you go on home assignment, you miss it. I think that was a, that was a clue to me, like, oh, I'm I'm adjusted in some level. There's things that I've looked forward to going home. There's things that I really was ready to go home for a home assignment. But when I realized there was things that I missed about our home country. Yeah, I remember. So in, in this culture, uh, there's a phrase, the guest is king. And when you're... Uh, trying to go somewhere and someone comes to your house you stop everything and you 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 let the guests come in the home you feed refreshments you would never say oh I'm so sorry I'm on my way to an appointment mm-hmm. you just when the guest comes they're king so we lived in that for two years and it would be frustrating for us because we try to go somewhere and someone comes it's like okay hey how are you come on in have a drink have a cookie but then so Two years later, after baking in that for two years, we go back and I remember seeing some friends and they were like about to start a staff meeting. We walked in, haven't seen them in two years. And they were like, oh, hey, Mike, good to see you. We're about to start a staff meeting. You know, we'll catch up later. Ooh. And I was like, oh, that hurts so bad. <laughs> but, I, but I didn't realize because because living living here really, really changed us. So I think I think those are, those are some things. Yeah, and also like Stephanie said, missing missing it and it's starting to feel a little bit like home but it does take a while I think it takes a couple of years to get over that initial culture shock language acquisition well, I, saying, yeah. I think language and it's, but I think language is a key to that and so you until you have some language I don't know if you can completely feel feel adjusted yeah, yeah someone told us and I hung on to this they said language learning is a stress reliever mm-hmm. because the, the more language you learn the less stress you're going to feel you know you have a couple of guys come to your house and fixing pipes and they laugh at something you said and you don't know and you're like are they trying to rip me off what are they doing but then you know the language and then you get the joke and you laugh too yeah. and it's not as stressful yeah. those 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 uncomfortable that's, situations that's a good sign when you're adjusted and i thought that earlier is when you can laugh with people you laugh yeah. with people in your in your situation because you get it and you and and to look at language like you said silas not just i got to grind it out and learn ten thousand vocabulary <laughs> words but this is actually a culture. This is a window into the culture. Like, for instance, in this, in this language, there are no verb tenses. Uh, and so, you know, I, would te- I taught English here for a while, and I would have to draw these uh, elaborate charts on the, on the board to explain verb tenses, you know, present perfect and past mm-hmm. tense and uh, all these crazy verb tenses. And I realized, wow, to us as an American, time is very important. It comes through in our language. But here it's like... There, there's no there's no verb tenses. You don't conjugate verbs, which is great for language learning, by the way. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it really shows that people really live in the moment. And so 
I used to take a verse like make the most of your time as like that's like multitasking like get as much done in a little amount of time and living here the the, the, the way it's phrased in the, in the Bible here it's more like fill the time with meaningful things mm. and kind of living in the moment so making the most of your time might be to receive that guest and really uh, really you know focus in on what they're saying and connect with them Plus, you can be 10 minutes late here for an appointment. It's not a big deal, so that helps. Yeah. <laughs> but but the, the, the language, is a, language is a window into culture, and if you look at it that way, it's fascinating. It's endlessly fascinating. Like, why is there, you know, why do, in, in English, for instance, we, don't, we only have one word for you, you plural and you singular. That's why we have to say you guys or y'all. Okay, why is that? And then in our language here, there's two words for we. Mm. There's a word for like we inclusive and we exclusive, and there's just all sorts of I don't know little little cultural gems in the language if if you really come with the heart of a learner think wow. about those things for us so we were this this place was pretty much our home for 14 years including medical leave and furloughs, and then we were back in the U.S. for five years so we came back for this last year we're one more year here, um, and I found actually. Uh, things that used to really annoy me are kind of charming now. <laughs> you know, it's like, it feels like a real get-to to be here. And, and there are things that definitely still frustrate us, but there's something of like, wow, really, I really miss this. I really, I, I've, I've missed the, the graciousness of the, of the people. And, you know, it, 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 it's always amazing that how the people here, they're, they're really interested in you on our island. It's, it's not as many tourists, so we stand out a little more. And it's like, where are you from? How long have you lived here? Your language is so good. And, you know, it's like, at, and then, you know, we take our kids with this, and people want their pictures. And we're going to move back. I say, hey, guys, I know this gets frustrating. You don't want to hear the same four questions everywhere we go. But remember, when we go back to the U.S., we're going to be... We're going to be nobodies again. <laughs> the celebrity status is gone. I was kind of wondering if there was... Anything that, from your own perspective, that you could speak into about the difference between adjusting to, to a country and a culture? Yeah, because um, there's things, we always say we love our country, we love the country, this country that we live in, but there's things about the culture that can be frustrating or can be hard. I think we've learned living overseas is this paradox, this life of paradox of, you know, the things we like and the things we don't like, and being okay with that tension of the paradox. And I think it helps us to be able to, so as we look at the, our country that we live in critically, it's like, yeah, like, overall, I love this country. Yeah, there's things that really bother me about the culture. There's things I love about the culture. And to be able to embrace that and to be able to be okay with the paradox of it, I think, helps you to settle more. Because we're like, wait, do I like it? Do I not like it? You know, it's like, it's okay. There's this paradox. And um, I think we, Mike and I were talking about this the other day, is that um, I think it gives us new eyes to be able to even go back into our home country and look at it a little bit more critically, it's not always appreciated. <laughs> we don't have a side when you can see your home country critically, but it's like your eyes are open, you have these new eyes, and then you can go into it back home and go, oh wait, there's things, I always thought I just loved the United States too, but wait, I love the United States, but there's things culturally that, that aren't right. So. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give an example. Um, so w when, you, when you first come, you, you, you see things that are like, they're, they're, they're cut against kingdom principles, and you kind of can really be quick to judge those things, mm -hmm. especially in a, in a church culture. So we've got, 
this culture was predominantly non-Christian, and there's a small there's a small bubble of Christian culture here. So I remember going to uh, speak at churches, and I had this real strong feeling of like <clears throat> the priesthood of the believer, like these people need to be like praying for one another and being the church. And there's so much, uh, th- there's so much of uh, the, the kind of the guy on stage kind of does everything kind of feeling. And so I remember going and like I would preach the sermon and then the pastor would want me to pray for every single person, put my hand on them, you know, a church of, you know, 50, 60 people. And then as he did the closing prayer, he would want me to go in the back and shake everyone's hand on the way out. So it kind of felt like the mic show, like I'm preaching, I'm praying, and now I'm shaking your hand on the way out the door, every single one of you. And it used to frustrate me. And then I was like, you know what, there could be a deeper way to look at this, is maybe this is just such a culture of honor mm-hmm. that for, for us, you know, we're very egalitarian. And it's like, so yes, that's part of the culture that I think, okay, there needs to be, the, the congregation needs to be more engaged. Maybe that's what I feel. But instead of just being frustrated with that, it's like, okay, I've got 45 minutes to preach here. I can say whatever I want. I can, I can, I can fight for that kingdom value but still honor theirs and not just be so quick to judge so I think when you first come in, things are really glaring of, oh, this, you know, how could believers do this? Or, And then as you're there, there might be, like, like you might see something like, okay, the people move really slow and they're kind of lazy, you know. Mm-hmm. And then here, it's actually, there's a value of self-control that's so strong. I heard one story of a pastor was outside there having a picnic with his church and it started raining and everyone ran uh, you know, to under the canopy, and he walked very slowly to the canopy. He wanted to show his congregation self-control. <laughs> you know? Wow! And, like, and to him, you're like, this guy doesn't have sense to get out of the rain, you know. <laughs> and he's like, I'm showing self-control. So there's something that the values of uh, self-control, patience, honor. These are really strong values, and we might just kind of mow over those. So. There's these hidden values that you have to search for as an American and then say, hey, that's actually really honor, humility, self-control. Those are kingdom values. It's really, really already strong in the culture. So I don't want to only judge them from my, what my culture already champions as values that are mm-hmm. biblical. That's really good. Yeah. Well, in changing direction just a little bit, uh, a lot of people who are listening might be uh, in their first term. They're rookies in this. Mm-hmm. What would be some rookie mistakes that you've seen to cultural adjustment? I think that two big ones for me are, um, I think just kind of closing in, a, and I understand that, wanting to, you're so overwhelmed, just wanting to close in and protect yourself, almost making a barrier between you and the culture as a self-preservation, um, so mm-hmm. we've seen both. So, um, and it's hard, I mean, I understand that, but any way that you can just take little steps, baby steps out of your, and I think you would find the more, because as we're broken, as we're open, that's where we can see you know, Jesus come and meet us. But also we can allow, if we're not open and we're not needy, we can allow the people to come and help us. And, to, and that's where you're going to find the bond. So I have a story of a, a good friend of mine who had a, a miscarriage in our first term. And as devastating as it was, it just, um, they really opened up their lives to the, their neighbors and the people around them and allowed them to serve them. And the woman brought her food and cared for her. And it was just, and they just got integrated so quickly. So um, mm, well. I think even in places of pain and struggle, of any ways that you can open yourselves up and allow 
um, yeah, the people around you to, instead of trying to get your knee, I mean, it's okay to, you know, connect. It's great. We live in the time where we can connect on social media. We can connect with people back from our home country, but any way that you can start to allow people in your home country to, to meet some of those needs. Um, so I think that's where we see a rookie mistake. Also, just not being flexible, I think, in, um, you know, we come, and of course we come, and we, I'm all for vision, and we have this vision, this is what we're going to do in this country, and um, just not being flexible, I think there's, we can't make that our guide, I mean, in some ways, that your strategy and vision is all wonderful, but I think just sometimes we just see this rigidity, and no, but this is what I, I'm going to do, and just being open a little bit more, just kind of, um, I thought, I was crying about this this morning, I saw a picture of like a hose, or like a, a flexible tube, you know, that's, there's just so much living overseas that you've got to be able to bend and stretch and so water can flow through you. But if you are rigid, it's, just, it's going to break. It's not going to flow. And you're, I think you're just going to break a lot quicker and easier as pressures come because you're not able to, to do that. That's a good analogy. Yeah. We were blessed our first two years in during that critical stage as we had some mentors. Our, our team leaders had lived here for many years. Yeah really loved the culture and he would I would ask him a question like hey how do you say this word or that word he goes Mike I'm the I'm the copy of the copy you your best language learning tools is your left ear and your right ear you need to listen how they he would just say like you need to engage in the culture you know don't look to me and they seemed so comfortable in the culture and so it gave us the it gave us the grace to kind of push in a little deeper and when we were going through a culture shock moment and we were like, we need to go back to the States for a little while and we just need a break, he was like, Mike, you guys are in culture shock. And I said, no, we're not. We love this culture. We just need a break, you know? And he said, uh, culture shock is when you can't figure out how to get your needs met in your new country. That's wow. culture shock. So I, I was newly pregnant and just sick. And I was just like, I can't she was find losing anything. weight. I can't find anything I like to eat here. There's nothing I like to eat here. I can't, I can't eat here. You know, it was so that. We're just going to go in for Christmas, get some good food, you know, we'll be, come we'll back. I'll be, we'll be fine. <laughs> and so when he said that, culture shock is not figuring out how to get your needs met. I said, okay, I guess we are in culture shock. We can't figure out how to get our needs met here. Mm. And that, that helped frame it. Uh, the other thing I would say, as far as people, is when you feel culture shock, you want to retreat. Mm-hmm. And there's a much easier way to retreat now in our social media-rich world mm-hmm. to stay so connected. And my encouragement would be to do the very opposite, and that is go on a trip with locals. Mm-hmm. There's something about you not being in charge. Like every time I went with a student to a village or I went with my mentor to another island to you know, do a revival or just go share with people where I'm just like, everything in me wants to retreat back to my home country. I want to eat bluebell ice cream with peach cobbler. I want to watch a football game. You know, I want to I want to hang out with my friends who really know me and get my jokes. And it's like, okay, I'm going to do the very opposite. I'm going to go on a trip with locals where it's like the local language 24-7. And those things were always like a, a push out into the culture that on the other side it was really hard but I was always glad I did it so that'd be my one encouragement for people is when you feel that mm-hmm. homesickness to say I'm going to respond in the opposite spirit and I'm going to I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum and go on a trip just go on a two or three day trip with other people and then there are things in that you'll be forced to it'll be have a lot of boring conversations but you'll be forced to enjoy maybe village life or understand the culture and you'll come back and you'll have all these rich stories so You've got to fight that tendency. We've seen people really just really get entrenched and they start believing lies of, oh, these people are 
you can't trust these people or and you go man that's culture shock talking you know mm-hmm. uh, so it, it I'm kind of saying both like okay you, your needs are valid how do you get your needs met but you do need to fight against that tendency to entrench yourself and to actually go deeper into the culture so that you can discover its treasures I love that and that really lets us segue into the next question which we've already talked about a little bit but it has to do with language learning and the importance of language learning talk about that for me how does that help you with cultural adjustment I mean I think it's key I don't know how you can love people how you can let them love you unless you know the culture I think it's a struggle for wives and moms for sure, and I would, I would just want to encourage people to fight for it. Any sacrifice you make on the language learning end, I think, will pay off. Because it's hard. It's hard. It will be sacrificing, you know, having your kids being looked after in some kind of situation or, or whatever. But Tell your own story in that step. So we had great mentors as well. Um, Ron and Janine were our examples that they had been before. So um, it was great for me because of Janine's language and her example of language learning. And so went into it knowing that I was going to need to leave my children and go to language school. So it was hard, you know, leaving my... And, and I know there's different considerations. You you have to... It's child safety. You have to, you know, have parameters that are safe. But we had a parameters where we felt like we are safe for our kids and um, go to language school every day. And I was definitely was watching the clock, you know, so I could start asking some random question of our language teacher. And I was like, oh, please, no. <laughs> Gotta get home before they wake up because at first it was like I put them down for a nap and... You know, we'll get home before they wake, you know, by close to the time they wake up and it will be okay. And little by little, I just realized they were okay. They would wake up, <laughs> they would be fine. But I looked around and I, I'm a language school and I realized that there weren't other wives or moms that were at language school. And I realized some of these women, they were getting tutors at their home to tutor them. And I was like, I didn't even know that was an option. But I'm so glad I didn't because it took, I felt like my language took off quicker than that because it's just hard. It was harder for them to for the other to learn language when you and not that you can't do that I know in some situations that that's the ideal situation is to have a tutor in your house and be with your kids but for me it was God's provision I got pregnant quickly really needed that language really quick so um, really thankful yeah that. so the, the principle is to fight for it don't yeah. just dabble in it don't be like okay we're learning the language and it's really like three hours a week with a tutor a little mm-hmm. bit here and there it's like it's like getting a master's degree mm-hmm. you know learning a language I mean you've got to put that much intensity into it mm-hmm. So Stephanie and I made it our goal of we want to do marriage counseling in in the local language. We want to, it's not just that we can, you know, you get to this point where you can order food in restaurants, you can get a taxi, you can kind of know what's going on a little bit, but you can't go into the heart matters. And so that goal was like, okay, we need to learn this language enough. It's going to be like a master's level degree amount of work so that we can do, we just had that goal. We're going to do marriage counseling. And then, um, you know, couple years in, a couple came to our house struggling in their marriage, and you know, we didn't even think about it at the time. We were just mm-hmm. loving on them and hearing for them and praying for them. And they left, and I was like, babe, we just did marriage counseling <laughs> in this language. Wow. It was so exciting. And it takes, let me just say this, it takes so long to get there. You have to grind through so many little boring conversations and this shallow end of the pool, and it takes so long to really get that level of heart-to-heart friendship. But on the other side, there's this richness, there's this depth, and it's really worth um, fighting for, not just dabbling in, but really fighting for getting to the heart. You're, you know, you might be able to just share the gospel in the local language, but can you mentor someone? Can you disciple them? Can you really go into deeper matters? 
And that's really where the good stuff is. What are some other ways that you know that you've adjusted? Um, I think when you can, yeah, like Mike said, share life experiences. When you can laugh, you can laugh at them. You can laugh at yourself. <laughs> I think when you're relaxed enough to laugh at yourself, you can laugh at, you can laugh with them. Enjoy the food, I think, is um, being able to talk food <laughs> with them, talk about things you like, they talk about, you know, and in our culture, maybe, this is such a big thing. I, I would I'd just uh, say laughter here. I, I, I discovered this, that, you know, dry humor doesn't really work here, and I kind of enjoy <laughs> the dry humor. And um, for one of our language assignments, we had to learn, we had to find out what makes Indonesians laugh, and I found it, okay, it's kind of sassy humor where you talk back to the boss is really funny or self-depreciating humor when you make fun of yourself. So I discovered that. So if I could just meet an Indonesian and tell a story of something dumb I did, yeah. they love that. I mean, again, the humility is like a really strong cultural value in this culture. And so to, to, to make a, like, here's my goofy language mistake I made. And they just think that's hilarious. And it really opens the door. It's sort of like an acquired taste, like, there's some foods here that we didn't really like when we first tried them. And you give it a few tries, and then you start enjoying it, and then you miss it. So I would say just when you can laugh and you can really enjoy people. You know, it's not all like Stephanie said about strategy and vision and getting to movement, which we all want that. But you have to enjoy, you have to enjoy the journey along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to... You have to think that local things are funny and enjoy the food. It's not all just, okay, we're going to just grind it out until we see a movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think our roots have to go deeper into the soil. Mm-hmm. That's good. So if this was your only shot to tell somebody, this is the one thing that I would want you to remember, what would that be? I think just, just understanding that culture adjustment is hard and giving yourself grace. Um, also, I think knowing that you're, everyone's on their own timeline, so I think I see sometimes stress on teams as mm. um, maybe someone is further ahead in cultural adjustment than someone else, and just giving yourself grace and also having grace for your teammates, knowing that they're, everyone's going through it. It may look different, but it doesn't mean everyone is going through it, and it's going to come out, it's going to spill over differently. So just having an understanding of that, um, being gracious with each other, also not... Um, being jealous and um, yeah just being okay at the, with the pace that you're going being okay with the pace that they're going so um, it's not just a neat little package it's not a neat package <laughs> <laughs> it's not like what is the, the little diagrams you see you yeah. know there's there's some fluctuations there so <laughs> I, think I would say it's kind of like when you have a conflict on your team it's really challenging but when you get to the other side mm-hmm. there's such a security in your relationship if you can mm-hmm. have conflict well and we've had conflict with all of our teammates and now they're like our closest friends. I would say in similar, there's a wonderful place to get to in the culture, but you're going to have to go through this mm-hmm. big wall called culture shock. Mm-hmm. And if you know that's coming, you say, okay, I've got uh, my currency here my first two years. It's language learning and it's local friendships. And if you can really grab a hold of those and just keep plowing through, unplug from you know the social media universe and you don't have to have... 10 FaceTime calls a week to back home, but like you just start plowing into those relationships. And again, go on trips, go on a two day trip, go on a three day trip, go to the village, get away from where you're not in control and you're forcing yourself to grow in language and you're forcing yourself to enculturate. And on the flip side of that, you really will enjoy the language 
and then lo and behold, it will change you. You know, someone told us, you make your decisions and your decisions make you. We made our decision to move here. Little did we know how much it was going to shape us and change us. And some of these cultural values are, are part of our lives now. And we, we so appreciate that. He so loved the world. You know, he didn't just, he doesn't say, for God so tolerated the world. You know, he, he loved the world. You're not just trying to tolerate. You're trying to love mm, them deeply. That's good. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing. One of the things that Steve and I love to do is to ask our guests to pray a prayer of blessing and just to impart the, the keys that you've given us to our lives so that we can carry them out, that the Holy Spirit would allow us to carry those out. So as we end, can you all pray a prayer of blessing? Sure, we'd love to. Jesus, we love that you are the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. You are the one who left the comfort of heaven and was born in a, a gritty stable and loved people with dirty feet and who were messed up and you just love them. Thank you that you how you fought for your church, you know, how you you fought to, to, to redeem your bride and to, to love her and to cherish and nourish her. Lord, I just pray that we would be known by our love. We wouldn't just be known by people with brilliant strategies and methodologies, but man, they loved well. That, that these are these are people who are called to this country. They just love us so well, and that we it would be genuine, Lord. And I just pray for everyone listening who is struggling, who is just frustrated, and maybe even hating the people that you've called them to, and just who who have maybe have robbed them or have been deceitful. That Lord, your love would just overcome. Let your perfect love drive out all, all that fear. Mm-hmm. Let uh, and and they they could just love them genuinely as you so love the world. They would love their culture. And they would have a great impact. And it, it, it would just flavor that, the culture for years to come, Lord. Give them grace in the long slog of language learning. Give them grace in the long process of enculturation, Lord. Thank you that it's worth it and that you're worth it. So I pray you would make us like, um, like that, that flexible tubing, Lord. Would you show all of us, Lord, how to um, bend and to twist and to, at your direction, God. Would we be um, ones where your, your spirit and your water can flow? through, Lord, because we are so molded by you, Lord, and flexible in your hands, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, that's it for this week's episode. You've been listening to Resiliency. This episode has been produced by me, Silas West, with help from my co-host, Steve Finley. We are so grateful for the generosity of our guests for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. We couldn't do it without you. We also want to give a big shout out to the band Honest Men, who wrote and performed the music in our intro and outro. Special thanks for the voice talent of Sarah Neely, who introduced us at the beginning of the episode. If you liked what you heard, encourage your friends to subscribe and tune in in two weeks from now for the next episode of Resiliency. Resiliency.